Ja, verpassen. And we are in the middle of a statement by a speech, really, short speech, but a powerful speech by Kalev, who is saying, contrary to what the spies say, that God cannot bring us into the land of Israel. In fact, we can. And we've seen this in the past. We saw it back in Genesis, the story of Joseph, where the Aliyah will be broken in the middle of somebody talking. So we had it with Yosef when he was talking to his brothers after he revealed himself to them and he's telling them what to do, go back to their father Jacob. In the middle of his, I don't know about the middle of a sentence, but in the middle of his paragraph, it, there's a break and goes to a new aliyah. And we're seeing that here as well. We're in the middle of a paragraph. Kalev is in the middle of speaking. It breaks and then picks up again today. And obviously the significance to that, um, I believe in back in Genesis, it was that he was expressing two different ideas so perhaps one can approach this uh, break in the similar way that Kalev has two different points that he's making and one belongs to yesterday's portion and one belongs to today's. In any case, let's start with verse 8. Im banu Hashem. <clears throat> if God desires in us, he desires us, and he will bring us to the land, this land, and he will give it to us. Eretz, it's a land that is zavat flowing with chalav devash, with milk and honey. Verse 9, however, ach, ba'ashem al-timroidu, do not rebel against Hashem. Ve'atem and you, al-tiru es'ama aretz, do not be afraid of the people of that land. Ki, because lachmenu they are our bread. As Rashi explains, we will consume them like people, like, like eating bread. Their shade, their protection has been removed from upon them. God is with us. Do not fear them. Says Rashi. Don't be afraid. And consequently, you will not fear. So do not rebel and constantly don't fear. There's a, there's, a, there's a different ways of understanding the verse. We have two things that the that the that Kalev is saying. Number one, he says, do not rebel against the Lord. And then it says, do not fear. But as we have it in the translation that follows Rashi, the do not fear is not a command, do not fear. It's you will not fear. It is a promise. In other words, it's, the way Rashi understands it, if you'll listen to the first thing, which is do not rebel against the Lord, then you will have no fear. It's a consequence. If you don't rebel, you won't have fear. This is in contradistinction to the Ramban, to Nachmanides, who reads this differently. He says that the fact that they, are, they have fear, that is the rebellion. So it's actually one of the same. Don't rebel, don't have fear, because the fear is a rebellion against God. If God says you're going into the land and you've seen all these miracles from God, then you're being in a state of fear is itself a rebellion. Rashi, on the other hand, the way he sees it, the way he explains it, is if you will stop rebelling, your fear will go away. Sartzilam, what does it mean that their protection has been removed? 
Rashi says, Kshedim Shabahem Mesu, the good ones that are among them have died. Who is that? Eov Job, Shahiyamegin Alehim, who was protecting them because he was a righteous person. He was in their midst, he was protecting them, but now he's gone. And we have nothing to fear. Dover Acher, another explanation. It's God's protection that has been removed from upon them. Verse 10, the whole people said, to stone them, to pelt them with stones. Now, who is them? Rashi says, Yeshua and Kalev, who had been speaking. I was saying that Kalev is speaking, but this is Yeshua and Kalev. And Rashi has to tell us this because it's a little bit vague. Oh, some them. Who is them? Maybe it's Moshe and Aaron. Maybe they want to stone Moshe and Aaron. Rashi says, no, it's Yeshua and Kalev because they're the ones who are speaking. Hashem, the glory of God, was seen in the Oha Moed. El Israel, to all of the people of Israel. What does it mean that God's glory is now seen? What does that mean? What do they see? Rashi says, Hashem ha'anan yarad sham, that the, the cloud of glory descended there. And that's what it means. They saw the glory of God. They saw the presence of God um, by the fact that the cloud of glory had descended there. Verse 11, So the people clearly were not convinced by Joshua and Kalev's pep talk. Hashem says, Hashem says to Moshe, until when? Will this nation anger me, provoke me? And until when? Will they not believe in me? Despite all of the miracles that I have done within this people, they still don't believe in me. As Rashi says, having seen all these miracles, they should believe that I have the capacity to fulfill my promise. Says God, what am I going to do? And this is going to be reminiscent of what happens after the sin of the golden calf. God says, I will smite them, strike them with a plague, and I will annihilate them. The S will make you, Moses, Legoi gadol to a great nation, the atzum mimenu, and stronger than they. And if you will say, says Rashi, what is what is the uh, statement of God that I'm going to make you Moses into a great nation? Why is this being mentioned? Why does God mention this? Rashi says, If you Moses will say, well, what about the promise to to the patriarchs about their descendants? How are you just going to wipe them out? God says, I'm going, to, I'm going to make you, Moses, who is a descendant of the patriarchs, into a great nation. This way I'll fulfill the promise to the patriarchs. Verse 13, and Moshe says to God, if you do that, Egypt is going to hear that you brought up with your strength this great na- this nation, boy, from amidst Egypt. And what? Rashi gives us the details. When they hear that you killed them out in the desert, they're not going to say that the reason you killed them is because they sinned against you. The Egyptians don't know what's going on. They're just going to say that when that you had the power 
to conquer them. But you don't have the power to conquer the people of the land of Canaan, the 31 kings. Now, just to explain this a little bit, clearly God is not in a popularity contest and is not self-esteem is not at stake over here. What are the Egyptians going to say? God forbid to even think so. Rather, what's happening, and the Rebbe explains it this way, is that Moshe is arguing part of the, the exodus from Egypt and all of the miracles was not just to save the Jewish people, but there was also a great statement being made of who is boss, who controls this world, who is the creator of the world. The truth was being revealed, that there is a God and that God is a creator of nature and above nature. This was a, a very critical part of the whole exodus. And now Moshe is arguing that if you're going to kill the people out at once, that goal, that outcome of, of the Egyptian exodus is going to be annulled. And now the, the people of the world, people of Egypt and people of the world will say, this God is not that great. And so once again, the truth will be concealed. Verse 14, and they will say about the people who live in Canaan, Shamu Hashem. They heard that you are this God amidst this people. You're taking care of them. Eye to eye, you reveal to them and you're protecting them with this cloud. And you're going in front of them by day with a cloud and at night with a pillar of fire. And it's all in a way of affection, as Rashi says. They don't know. They haven't realized that your love for them had been withdrawn. And then, verse 15, you're going to kill this people like one man, like in one, in one blow. The people will say, It's because of God's inability to bring this nation to the land that he promised them. He slaughtered them in the desert. The Rebbe talks about why he uses the expression, slaughtering, why this, you know, killing, there's all kinds of different expressions. Why is the word... Shachat, and the way the Rebbe explains it is that shechita is a type of an elevation of the animal. And similarly, um, as the Rebbe explains it, when if God were to have killed out the people, which eventually they die, it's not an, a simply an a, it's not, God forbid, a massacre. There is a purpose in their death. It's either an atonement for them or the fact that if they're, they're showing that they cannot fulfill their mission, which is to go into the land of Israel with faith etc., then their purpose in this world becomes obsolete and their presence in the world is not a blessing for the world and therefore not a blessing for them. So the fact that they have to die is twofold. First of all, is to the benefit of, the, of, the, of themselves because they're, they're no longer fulfilling their function in this world. And number two, it acts as an atonement for them. In similar ways, slaughtering is a, is a purposeful act. You're slaughtering an animal so you can eat it or for an, a sacrifice, etc. That's what's hinted to in the use of this word, Still, Moshe is arguing that if you kill them all out at once, the problem is, what are the people going to say um, about, your, about the capacity of God and the strength of the divine? Verse 17, Let God's Strength be increased. Be, let it be shown. As you spoke, saying. What did God speak? Hashem Now this is reminiscent of the 13 attributes of mercy that Moshe also recited 
after the sin of the golden calf, where then too, God said, I would, I'm going to destroy this people. Hashem Erech God is slow to anger. Rav Chesed, abundantly kind. Noisi Ovoin, forgiving of iniquity and transgression. Vinake lo yinake. This seems like to be a contradictory thing. We'll see what Rashi explains. What's vinake lo yinake? Who cleanses and does not cleanse. So which one is it? So in our translation, it has already in the brackets the interpretation. He cleanses some and does not cleanse others. Um, we'll see in Rashi what Rashi says. iniquities of parents and children, even to the third and fourth generations. Says Rashi, Hashem erechapayim, God is is slow to anger for both the righteous and the wicked. And here you have a fascinating vignette, a report from when Moshe went up to God in heaven. When Moshe went up Lamarom to the great heights, Hashem, Moshe found God sitting and writing. And what was God writing? He was writing the words, Hashem God is slow to anger. So Moshe says, when you say God is slow to anger, is that referring to the righteous? God said to him, No, it refers even to the wicked. God is slow to anger even to the wicked. So Moshe says, Let the wicked perish. God said to him, I promise you, that you are going to need this thing that I just told you. And what, and what happened? When the Jewish people sinned, the golden calf, and, in the, and with, the, with the spies, Moshe prayed to God and used this expression, He says, God is slow to anger. God says to him, but you told me, that it should only apply to the righteous and that the wicked should perish. And what does Moshe respond? And you told me, even to the wicked. This is a beautiful vignette this conversation between God and, and Moshe and also gives you the depth between what's really going on over here. A dynamic that we've seen, as I mentioned, with the golden calf, where God says, I'm going to destroy the people, but he's hinting to Moshe, you should pray on their behalf, and so forth. As we explained then, that God is he is creates this dynamic where it's Moshe's role to evoke a higher reality of divine kindness than the judgment that God first um, states. Now, how does Rashi explain the, the the contradiction? On the one hand, it says God cleanses, then it says does not cleanse. Rashi says vinakilashovim, he cleanses those who repent, but he does not cleanse those who do not repent. Now, verse 19, this is a verse that we that was we you remember from Yom Kippur. We recited on Yom Kippur, we recited during Slichot, and it says as follows: Slachna. Please forgive the sin of this people, as in the greatness of your kindness, just as you carried this nation from Egypt till here. And God says, I forgive as you have, as, as your word. As Rashi says, because of your argument, I forgive you. Now, this is pretty quick. God is convinced pretty quickly. Verse 21, however, it comes with a qualifier. My glory will fill the earth. Twenty-two. All the people who see my glory and my miracles that I did in Egypt and in the desert, and they tested me. 
This was the 10th one. This was the straw that broke the camel's back. And they did not listen to me. Rashi starts to tell us, what are the 10? Two at the sea, two at the man, two at the slav, the, the, the birds. And there was another, uh, there was the eagle, the golden calf. And there's the Miraglim, the spies, that's eight. And then there were two regarding water. The Jews were complaining, were thirsty. Immutus audits of these people. So he, God is conceding that he's not going to wipe out the people all at once, but rather they're going to die slowly over the next 40 years. They're not going to they're not going to see the land of Israel that I promised to their forefathers. All those who provoke me shall not see it. But my servant Kalev, and interesting, it mentions only Kalev and not Yeshua. Akiv Hoysa, because he had a different spirit possessed by another spirit, which you would think means different from the spies. We'll see that Rashi interprets that differently. He followed me. His heart was filled to follow me. I'll bring him to the land that he went to, meaning Hebron, that as we learned yesterday, Kalev visited Hebron. He's going, I'm going to bring him to that land. His descendants are going to drive the inhabitants of Hebron out and inherit it. Now, what does it mean he had he was possessed by another spirit? As I mentioned, a simple meaning would seem he was different than the other spies. Rashi says, no, there's something else going on here, which is that he himself had two spirits. On the one hand, superficially, he was agreeing with the spies because he didn't want them to suspect that he had something else to say. And why did he do this? So that they would allow him to speak. As we learned yesterday, Kalev was able to quiet the crowd. And so even though he wasn't successful, but at least he got the, the message out. How did he even get a chance to speak? The answer is that he was playing along with the other spies and, and making as if he agreed with them. And then he gets up and they thought he, he's going to support what they're saying. And he says something totally different. That's what it means. That in his, in his mouth, the peh, what he was saying, it seemed like he was with them. But in his heart, he was possessed by another spirit. Last verse for today, the Amalekites and the Canaanites were dwelling in the valley. God says, tomorrow, turn back and journey into the desert towards the Red Sea. Why? As Rashi says, if you're going to go there, they're going to kill you because I am not with you. You will not have the divine protection. And that concludes today's Parsha. And we will open it up to questions and comments. Verse 21 says, uh, Hashem says, as long as I am alive. That right. surprised me that Hashem would right. say, as long as I am alive. It's basically saying forever, right? Just like I am alive forever. It's a, it's a, it's a, it's a, okay. it's like by my life, right? It's a, it's a way of saying an oath. Okay. And then secondly, the name Caleb, there's lots of Jewish boys named Joshua, but not Caleb. Any reason? I don't know. That's a great question. Uh, we do have a Caleb in our preschool. So you're right. It's not so common. But um, yeah, I can't think of any of Rabbi Kalev. There's one rabbi in Israel whose last name is Kalev. But I can't think of any with the first name Kalev. It's a good question. Research department. Yeah, hello. I think uh, you brought up a very good point, I think, about that uh, 
That didn't have any, you know, he knew the plan what to do, you know, to begin with. You know, it's not like bargaining with Moshe Rabbeinu, but he wanted him to, to respond, you know, to understand why God does these things, you know, that's why. You know, it's not like, you know, the bargaining going on, you know, between them. Right. Exactly, it's similar to story with Abraham and, you know, and uh, Sodom and Amora, you know, the same thing, you know, God knew what to, to, to begin with. Exactly. Right, and God knows everything that Moshe knows. That's right. You know. <laughs> Very interesting. Thank you. You know, Joshua probably got planned to uh, to make Joshua the leader of Jewish people to begin with. You know, that's why he didn't count on his father. You know, because he was separate. You know, Right. So you're saying why why wasn't Joshua mentioned here? And that's a very interesting interpretation. He's going to be the leader of the Jewish people. Um, I did see another interpretation, which is that God singles out Kalev because Kalev, we learned that both about Kalev and Yeshua, that they had some uh, extra strength given to them. One that Moshe gave Yeshua an extra Yud in his name to give God's name into his name, and they, meaning God will protect you. Whereas Kalev, he did not get that from Moses. And so his accomplishment of staying above the fray of the spies and not being taken in by them is considered a much greater accomplishment than that of Yeshua. Even though Kalev also had some help, he went to the graves of the patriarchs in Hebron, but he did that on his own initiative. So he, he gets more, more credit than Yoshua. Is there any connection between King David and Kalev? King David and Kalev... Um, well, Kalev is from the tribe of Judah, so they're related. I'm not sure if he's a descendant of Kalev. It's possible. He's not direct descendant of him, yeah. It could be. I don't know. I don't know. Rabbi, I have a question. Yes. When it says uh, who cleanses but does not cleanse completely, can you elaborate more on that? Um, more than Rashi, Rashi, uh, Rashi says he cleanses for those who repent, but not for those who don't repent. In other words, we have to do our part. It's not a free ride. Um, Rashi, in fact, interestingly, you bring it up. Rashi gives two interpretations back in um, Exodus, where we have the story of the golden calf. And Moshe cites this almost identical phrase. He leaves out truth in this one. Um, but he but he uses the same phrase, and Rashi there explains it differently. There he gives two interpretations, and the first interpretation he gives is that he cleanses, but not completely, which is what you said. He cleanses, meaning he forgives, but not completely. He always is he's going to uh, punish the person, you know, in, in a lesser way or over time. So, and then he gives a second interpretation there, which is the interpretation he gives here, that it depends on what, what we do. And the reason why he does that, Rashi gives this only the second interpretation here, is because here he's arguing, um, he's arguing for the for the people. Why would he why would he intend? He's so here, here his intention is not that they should uh, you know, God he wants God to forgive them completely. And that's that's why Rashi uses that interpretation. Thank you. Thank you. All right, gentlemen, thank you for joining us. And we look forward to seeing you tomorrow. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Rabbi. Okay. Rabbi.